Hello and welcome all. My name is Marissa, and you are listening to the Shining Armor Podcast, the show hosted by a comic book newbie who likes Marvel comics and just wants to talk about Iron Man. Well, it's official, folks. We're in the double digits. Welcome to episode 10. Apologies in advance. This episode took way too long to get out. For those of you who are just joining us, we have been moving steadily through Iron Man's comic book history in the main Marvel Universe. And it's been a fun ride so far, sharing this journey with all of you lovely folks out there. In case you're just now joining us, you couldn't have picked a better time. This episode is exactly what it says on the tin. We're going to meet a deadly beauty that throws our hero for a loop, and her partner, who inherits or rather, more accurately, appropriates a moniker we've seen before. How does Iron Man deal with this new threat? It would be rude to keep y'all in suspense. Pun absolutely intended. So, let's get on with it. Part 1. The Beauty and the Dynamo Issue Discussed Tales of Suspense number 52 The Crimson Dynamo Strikes Again You heard that title correctly, folks. This issue sees the return of the Crimson Dynamo. But something's off here. Our cover and opening splash page both depict CD giving poor Shellhead a hard time and being very much the antagonist he was originally introduced as way back in TOS number 46. Recall our discussion from episode 5, where we first met Professor Anton Venko in his capacity as genius Russian engineer, and in his guise as the story's armored antagonist, the Crimson Dynamo, working for his Soviet masters to take out Stark Industries and Iron Man in an attempt to prevent the Americans from getting too far ahead in their war of attrition. Such was the way during the Cold War era. However, Vanko realized his glorious leader, implied but not explicitly stated to be Khrushchev, was really only planning to use him until he couldn't use him anymore, and that this tentative agreement was not tenable regardless of any outside meddling from Iron Man forging evidence that would have come to light regardless. Under these conditions... Professor Vanko decided to defect to the United States and turn over all knowledge he had of any local Soviet spy rings in exchange for amnesty, and even accepted an offer to work for SI as the head of his own personal research lab. With all this in mind, you'd think something would be off that, after all of that, he would once again turn on Iron Man so easily. Is it mind control? Or is he being coerced by his former Soviet handlers? Or is it something else altogether? We're just going to have to read on and find out. TOS number 52 is cover dated April 1964 and was released on January 10th, 1964. And credits include plot by Stan Lee, story by N. Korok, pencils and inks by Don Heck, and lettering by Sam Rosen. Once again, colors are uncredited. With that setup out of the way, let's get to the story summary. Re-establishing a connection. We begin our story proper on page two, where we see Professor Anton Vanko working late 
on an experimental laser machine in his personal lab at Stark Industries' main factory. It's unstable, and we can already tell it's dangerous, as we see him fully armored up in his crimson dynamo armor for added protection. If successful, it would make a useful weapon, with this statement in particular telling us our regular reminder that Stark's Industries makes weapons, and that Banco doesn't mind making weapons for his new American allies. Overlooking the workshop from a top-floor office, we see that Tony has also stayed late. He's overlooking the plant, monitoring Vanko's progress while doing a routine check on his own Iron Man armor. As he looks on, Vanko activates the laser, and it immediately becomes apparent that something is wrong. It's unclear what exactly, besides the fact that we already know the device is unstable, but the laser machine begins to overheat, and it's alarming enough to the onlooking Tony that he quite literally jumps into action, swinging down on a rope like Indiana Jones, and pushing Venko out of the way before the overload fries him. The implication is that the discharge is so powerful, even the Crimson Dynamo armor would not be enough to protect him, and since the armor's main capability is electricity manipulation, you know that's serious. Venko is disappointed that his experiment is an apparent failure, but Tony reassures him. He knows that Venko will be able to prove his worth and that he has confidence in him, but it also tells him to pace himself and that it's not worth risking his life over. Tony even has some ideas for how to improve the Crimson Dynamo armor to act as better protection from the laser ray, and it stands to reason that perhaps he's made similar improvements to his own Iron Man armor. It's not outright stated, but it's well within the confines of what we know about Tony Stark. He is always improving his armor and learning from his mistakes, so that the same tricks will not work against him twice. Calling Agent Widow The first panel of page 3 has Tony reminisce, read, remind the reader, about his first encounter with the Crimson Dynamo back in TOS number 46. While he's strolling memory lane, we leave him for a moment to travel across the seas to Soviet Russia, when we see the surprising return of Mr. Glorious Leader, as we have codenamed him on this podcast. As some time has passed, it stands to reason that he's been made fully aware of Vango's treachery to the motherland, and he's decided to deal out some punishment. He decides this is a job for two of his top agents, a strong man named Boris, and his beautiful but deadly companion-slash-handler, Madame Natasha, a.k.a. the Black Widow. Before we go too far, I want to confirm for y'all that, yes, this is the first Marvel Comics appearance of the Black Widow, the same one you've all met a version of in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, who we would get to know later as Natasha Romanova, expert spy and covert agent, and future Avenger. For now, though, she is very much on the side of evil. We can talk a little more about the Widow in the Reflection section. For now... Let's get on with the summary. Natasha views this new assignment as very interesting and that Tony Stark will be an interesting assignment, specifically noting his wealth and good looks. Yeah, we all know where this is going, don't we? A diplomatic visit. Jump forward a few days to a submarine parked covertly in American waters the passengers of which include Madame Natasha and her brother, Boris. Yes, that's the cover they're going with. Oh, um, before we get too far, I will point this out. Yes, their names are Boris and Natasha. Chew on that one for a little while. 
they get themselves somehow passed off as foreign dignitaries on an official visit to Stark Industries. Natasha even goes the extra mile and introduces Boris as a science teacher interested in American technology. Tony greets the two and offers to show them around the facilities personally. Then he swiftly changes his mind, taking Natasha aside and telling her that a lovely lady such as herself shouldn't spend all day touring a dull factory and suggests that the two of them go to dinner instead while Boris continues to tour on his own. Natasha accepts, saying that my brother is really more interested in such things than I am. Page 4, panel 5. They're next shown dining together at a swanky nightclub, where Natasha butters him up even more, saying that it's strange that one so dedicated to science is so sophisticated and charming. Tony amps up the playboy charm he's so well known for and replies, If there's a moon out, lady, you'll find out how I feel about you too. Panel 6. Smooth talker. Tony Stark, ladies' man, strikes again. Or rather, that would be the case if he wasn't playing right into the widow's hands. Mission sabotage and armor theft. Because leaving Boris alone in the factory to his own devices was exactly the plan. And now that he's unsupervised in the factory, he's free to do some good old-fashioned sabotage. He locates Vanko's workshop and uses a little gadget that emits a corrosive fluid that melts through the metal door to the workshop. Boris then forcibly enters the lab and corners Vanko before he can sound the alarm, using another gadget, this one explicitly of Vanko's own creation, and creates a fibrous binding, tying the professor up and leaving him helpless. The security guard making his rounds at this time sees Boris leaving the vicinity with a burlap sack and he questions him about it and Boris somehow manages to pass himself off as a delivery man with supplies to be delivered to Vanko. The guard merely brushes him off and tells him that Vanko is not to be disturbed, and sends Boris on his way. Any real security guard worth his salt would have questioned him further and inspected the package he was supposedly delivering. Especially since this facility works closely with military secrets and potentially classified intel. But nope. He just lets the guy walk. Some guard. It's strongly implied that Boris's burlap sack holds the captive Vanko in it, and upon leaving the factory grounds, Boris snatches the poor guy in his car. He then makes his way back to the lab, which is now free for the sacking, where his first order of business is to commandeer the Crimson Dynamo armor, stating out loud to himself as he dons the iconic weaponry that no one will suspect he isn't Vanko, based solely on the fact that he's wearing Vanko's armor, and that Iron Man's defeat will be his greatest triumph. Page 6, panel 7. In other words, get ready for some real hijinks. Top of page 7, Boris is now fully suited up as the new Crimson Dynamo and begins tearing up the factory, hoping to simultaneously slow down SI's production and draw Iron Man so he can destroy him. Meanwhile, Tony's enjoying his night on the town with Natasha when he is interrupted by a suited gentleman possibly the club owner or Mater D, who comes bearing grave news fresh out of a phone call specifically for Tony, showing that he made his location known to his inner circle before leaving. Sure enough, confirmed by the message itself, it's from Happy, and he informs about Boris's attack on the factory. 
As quickly as they are able to leave, when Natasha and Tony arrive back at the main SI factory, it is completely ablaze. Firefighters are on the scene, however, and it's heavily implied that everyone was able to successfully evacuate the premises. Thanks to the comics code, I would imagine, no one is allowed to actually die in this apparently catastrophic disaster. Happy is even shown assisting with the firefighting efforts like the boss that he is. And he informs Tony that the fire started in Venko's lab and that Venko has disappeared without a trace. Tony decides based on this information alone that this is a job better handled by Iron Man and he makes himself scarce from the scene in order to armor up. His armor, as a bonus, lets him traverse the blazing factory without being burned or suffering from smoke inhalation. Remember that, even though it isn't fully established yet, the armor does have its own internal air supply. AJ finds Iron Man arriving at Venko's workshop, and who does he find there but the imposter, Crimson Dynamo. However, since he believes it's Venko in the armor, he's relieved to see him and drops his guard, speaking in a relaxed manner and offering to remove the laser ray machine from earlier in the story so it isn't damaged by the fire. Further establishing the importance of this experiment, and, of course, showing off the raw strength and lifting power of the Iron Man armor, as this thing looks like it weighs veritable tons. Just as he begins to move the machine, however, the Boris Dynamo catches him off guard and begins to use the electricity manipulation of the Dynamo armor to drain power from Iron Man. Iron Man falls to the ground and loses consciousness, his last thought before doing so being that Vanko has betrayed him. Escaping Captivity the Crimson Boris then brings the unconscious Iron Man back to the Russian submarine, still hidden just offshore, and tells his handlers that Iron Man is completely helpless, as the amount of electric current he used to disable him is enough to destroy 20 men. Page 9, Panel 1 Our hero is then summarily thrown into a holding cell of some description, and Boris once again leaves the sub and returns to the factory to retrieve the Black Widow and aid in her mission to subdue Tony Stark. Now that his iron bodyguard cannot help him. Page 9, panel 3. If only he knew that Tony Stark is already aboard the sub in that holding cell, since he and the rest of the Marvel U at this point cannot possibly know that Tony Stark and Iron Man are the same person. As Boris leaves, our armored hero awakens in his cell. I guess the power to disable 20 men isn't enough to put even one Iron Man out of commission for very long. However, thanks to the drain, he is running dangerously low on power, and quickly smashes a light bulb in his cell, using the residual current from the bulb to charge his armor, because that's apparently a thing he can do, and a light bulb has apparently enough current to fully charge his armor. We'll go off then. Now that he's back at full strength, he decides that the best course of action is to just bash right through this place, even though he has no idea where he is or what effect that will have. Because smashing down walls through a submarine sounds like a smart thing to do. He smashes through the adjacent cell and finds the captive Vanko, still disabled by his binds, and immediately puts two and two together, as he realizes that Vanko didn't betray him after all. That it wasn't Vanko in the dynamo armor, and that it was someone else who attacked him. Iron Man frees Vanko and continues his rampage to the craft, both of them escaping relatively unscathed against all odds. 
Iron Man versus the second Crimson Dynamo. As the two rocket back towards SI, Venko apologizes to Iron Man for letting his past catch up with him. He is explicitly familiar with Boris and how dangerous he is, and warns Iron Man that Boris is the one who stole the Crimson Dynamo armor, and that he's after the laser ray machine, and that he is not a man to be taken lightly, stating explicitly that it's best that they tread carefully. To which Iron Man replies in no uncertain words, Nope, screw that noise, and decides instead to just bust into the lab and go all Leroy Jenkins on Crimson Boris, prompting the inevitable rematch between these two armored titans. During the course of the scrap, Iron Man gets the fake out several times, including once where he has Boris effectively on the ropes and down for the count so hard that Venko straight up tells Shellhead to just finish the guy off. To which our boy replies that we don't play that way. Exact words, by the way, page 11, panel 3, which of course allows Boris to regain his footing and get the drop on him again with the electric zap. My guy, you know the CD armor can do this. Why take chances? Another absolutely sinful screw-up comes when he allows himself to be distracted by the Black Widow, getting off the plot bus and pulling a fast one on him by pretending to be injured by destroyed debris in the fallout of the IMCD clash as the two play keep away with Vanko's laser machine. Of course, Iron Man lets his weakness for women in peril get the better of him, allowing Boris Dynamo to get the jump on him a second time. By this point, he knows the real danger of who Madame Natasha really is, having been informed earlier on of her true nature. So there really is no excuse for letting her sucker him like this. Apparently, she's just that dang good at her job. Or else he's just that gullible. A short-lived handoff. After this quite frankly painfully shameful display, Professor Vanko decides enough is enough and decides to take matters into his own hands, arming himself with a laser ray and blasting Crimson Boris right in his darn face. As foreshadowed at the beginning of this story, this causes the machine to completely overload and explode in presumably spectacular fashion. Due to the comics code, we don't actually see the actual explosion. Thus causing the fall of the second Crimson Dynamo, but also resulting in Venko sacrificing himself in the process. In an early display of pathos from our drama-prone hero, Iron Man removes his helmet to show Tony's sad expression as he expresses regret for not being able to prevent Vanko's tragic demise, and that he'll never forget this true act of bravery. Even though his death would not have even occurred if Iron Man had just finished Boris off when he had the chance, like Vanko told him to. Hashtag Vanko was right. It's also strongly implied, but not explicitly stated, that no one is around while the scene is unfolding, allowing for Tony to maintain his dual identities, Iron Man, regardless of how flimsy it is. And what became of the Black Widow, you might ask? Well, as the last panel of the story reveals, she escapes to live another day. Though she considers her mission a complete failure, since she dropped the ball at the last minute, culminating with her failing to accomplish her task of putting Stark out of commission, and with her de facto partner Boris royally snuffing it via exploding laser machine. She hesitates to return to her superiors and instead decides to go on the run, 
knowing full well the horrific consequences she could face if she returns with her mission unfinished. Part 1 Retcons, References, and Reflections Crimson Dynamo 2, aka Creating an Antagonistic Mantle Think back, dear listener, to episode 5, where we first encountered the dynamo, and you might recall that I said something along the following lines. I will quote, Going forward, the armor will be worn by a number of different individuals, making this a rather unique villain, as it is ultimately becomes more of a mantle passed around to different people than a title belonging to any one person. This story is the first example of that, with Boris becoming according to official Marvel Universe canon, the second Crimson Dynamo. Crimson Dynamo 2 may only appear in this one story, seeing as how Boris bites the dust at the end, but it sets the precedent of multiple individuals donning the Dynamo armor in order to give Iron Man all kinds of trouble. Even though this iteration of the mantle is short-lived, as of this issue, the title and armor belongs to are effectively established as a mantle, so know that we have not seen the last of the Crimson Dynamo. It will take quite a long time for CD number 3 to appear, but when he finally does... Hoo-hoo, boy, watch out. Introducing the Black Widow Though her appearance and modus operandi differ drastically from how we know her today, I want to reconfirm that this is indeed the very first appearance of Natasha Romanoff, alternatively, Natalia Alyanovna Romanova, a.k.a. the Black Widow. Even though she is vastly different than the form we know her in today, this is, indeed, for all intents and purposes, the very same Black Widow that we will all come to know a version of in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as portrayed by Scarlett Johansson. She takes the guise in this first story of your classic noir femme fatale, dressed absolutely to the nines, and using her charm and femininity as a weapon to keep unsuspecting men with a weakness for beautiful women, read Tony Stark, off their game while her partners in crime go around causing all kinds of chaos and damage right under their noses. In this case, that would be the ransacking and destruction of Tony's factory while he's out on a date with her, effectively distracting him by occupying his attention so he's kept unaware of the impending danger. She will remain a villainous or else antagonistic figure for quite some time. It will take a while before she takes the form we're more familiar with today, as an expert covert operative who effectively works for good, though not always on the side of the law. The Black Widow will also become one of the first, if not the first, Marvel leading lady to headline her own title in the Amazing Adventures anthology series released in 1970. As anyone familiar with the MCU knows, she would of course eventually become an Avenger, and would also go on to become a top S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, as well as become a part of the first iteration of the super team known as the Champions. A little known amongst non-comic readers, anyway, Los Angeles-based team first appearing in publication in July of 1975, and consisting of Natasha's Black Widow, at this point, former X-Men Bobby Drake, a.k.a. Iceman, and Warren Worthington III, a.k.a. The Angel, Johnny Blaze's Ghost Rider, and Hercules, son of Olympus and longtime rival to Thor both friendly and antagonistic, and who I occasionally affectionately refer to as Herc the Jerk, due to his rather jerkish personality. And yes, Hercules does indeed exist in the Marvel Universe, but that is a long story that I unfortunately 
just don't have time for here. As we all know, it will eventually be established that Natasha is one of many Black Widow agents, graduates of the covert Red Room operation that takes young girls and turns them into elite cutthroat assassins. And we will eventually meet many others of this ilk, most famously Yelena Bolova, who we also meet in the MCU in the appropriately titled 2021 release Black Widow and portrayed by Florence Pugh in an absolutely scene-stealing performance. It'll take quite a few years until we get to meet the more familiar version of Miss Natasha that we all know, however, so for now, we'll put a pin in it as we continue forward to her next appearance, which occurs in the very next issue that we're going to cover right now. Part 2. The Black Widow's Payback Issue Discussed Tales of Suspense, number 53 Black Widow strikes again. TOS number 53 has a cover date of May 1964 and a release date of February 11th, 1964. And credits include story and plot by Stan Lee, script by Ann Korok, pencils and inks by Don Heck, and lettering by Sam Rosen. Once again, as per usual for the time, colors are uncredited. Starting with this issue, Tales of Suspense officially becomes branded as Iron Man's book, and his name is added to the title, with it now reading in full, Tales of Suspense featuring the power of Iron Man. That's pretty cool if you ask me. Though, I really wish someone in editorial later on would have remembered this fact, as I got a bone to pick with a later iteration of this title for a number of reasons that we'll get to when we get to. The story summary is as follows. How do build gravity ray? <laughs> Skipping right over the opening splash page this time, for a reason we'll come back to later, the first proper page shows Tony working on an anti-gravity device he's supposedly been trying to analyze for about a month. In other words, the time between the publication of the last story and this one, an early meta example of the Marvel Universe running in real time alongside the real world, which, as we all know, <laughs> won't last very long. He's created this device by seemingly putting pieces together at random and has no idea how to replicate it or even how and why it works. Which makes absolutely no dang sense for a genius level intellect of Tony's caliber. If anything, it's clearly the result of the writing team just pulling things out of their rear end because they themselves wouldn't know how such a device would work and are too lazy to establish the rules. Get all 60s Marvel. Tony's so focused on analyzing this device that he doesn't notice a heavy ceiling vault or some other piece of nondescript machinery coming loose from its moorings right above his head and poised to flatten him into Pancake Stark. So he is, of course, naturally startled when Happy comes from out of the blue to pull a big damn hero's moment, shoving him out of the way just in the nick of time as the device comes crashing to the ground right in the spot where Tony was. Remember Happy Hogan's introduction in episode 4, TOS number 45, where he is introduced jumping into the fray without hesitation in order to save Tony's bacon from the car fire at the racetrack. And this effectively serves as a reminder of Happy's willingness to put himself in harm's way to aid another person without hesitation. This isn't the first time Happy's pulled Tony's fat out of the fryer, and it won't be the last. 
Nice job breaking it, hero. This brush with danger effectively distracts Tony enough to drop the gravity ray, which damages it in such a manner that while it is still functional, apparently enough of its components are damaged in a way that makes it so he is unable to analyze it any further. This effectively makes it far too dangerous, and since it's also unreplicable by some bizarre leap in logic, you will think that Tony will be smart enough to lock it away in a vault somewhere for safekeeping so that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. But instead, he decides the best course of action would be to inform the freaking DOD of this fantastic new weapon he's created, knowing full well they'll want it for themselves, even though he has no way of replicating it or even ensuring its safe operation. Tony! What the actual heck? This is about the stupidest decision we've seen this apparent genius make in the entire run of the character so far, and smacks of laziness from the writing team. Tony will eventually be shown to have learned better when to play his cards, and when to hold them so close to his chest that his adversaries, and at sometimes even the government, will have to pry them from his cold dead fingers. But he apparently hasn't learned that lesson yet. Perhaps this actually serves as the catalyst for that infamous quirk of who Tony Stark will become. Because this is an incredibly boneheaded move on his part. As he is foolishly demonstrating the operation of the gravity device, a rogue reporter gets a shot of it in action, and of course it gets published in tomorrow's paper. Let alone the fact that this guy should never have even gotten clearance to what should be a heavily guarded military facility. The writers sure were lazy on this one, weren't they? I get the impression that this one was written in quite a hurry, as this is only the beginning of the nonsense that occurs in this story. Widow's Plot In any case, now the whole world knows about this fantastic new device. And who should happen to be reading today's hot news, but none other than the Black Widow, who decides that this is her chance to get back into the good graces of her Soviet masters, as she begins formulating a plan to worm her way back into Stark Industries headquarters in order to swipe the device and turn it over to win back the favor of Mr. Glorious Leader. However, she's no fool. She realizes that she might end up having to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Iron Man again, but she apparently has a plan to deal with him. We aren't really made privy to it, but her confidence does come across, so we're led to believe that she's got this. She enacts the opening act of her scheme, writing a desperate plea for forgiveness letter to Tony Stark, asking to see him to explain herself and apologize for her previous actions last issue, playing up her charm in a clear attempt to appeal to his empathetic side and exploit his weakness for pretty women in peril. And Tony, as we see at the bottom of page three, naturally falls for it, hook, line, and sinker. Because of course he does. Not only that, but he, for some reason, thinks it is not only a fantastic idea to mention the newspaper article about this dangerous new device he created by accident, but actually take the device out and show it to her. After he already knows her to be a confirmed agent of espionage and treachery. He even shows her how to work it. Good job, smart guy. Widow, of course, seizes the chance paralyzing Tony with a knockout gas, which keeps him down long enough for her to swipe the gravity ray and get out of dodge. 
and since he had the good graces to show her exactly how it works, she has no problem using it to knock down walls to create her escape route, and even sends a security guard flying before he can apprehend her, and she effectively makes her getaway. I don't know where he found these lame wannabe rent-a-cops, but Stark really needs to invest in better security, because at this point, <laughs> this is just getting ridiculous. After some time with no word from Tony, Pepper, the only sane and reasonable individual in this entire story who knew from the word go that letting the Black Widow confirm spy and espionage agent back into the factory was actually a bad idea, <laughs> decides it's time she check on her blockhead boss, as he's been in there far too long with Madame Mankiller. Exact words, page 5, panel 5. And sure enough, she finds him sprawled out on the ground from the knockout agent, with Widow having gotten the drop on him, just as she knew she would. She calls Happy to aid, and the two of them help Tony get back on his feet. Selective memory much? In the biggest twist of the story, Tony, now alone and armoring up in his workshop, admits to having messed up royally, stating that he underestimated the Black Widow. Then he immediately backtracks by claiming to have pretended to trust her in order to get close to her, even though the scene isn't set up this way at all. In fact, definitely looking and reading to anyone with working eyesight like he got played like a fiddle, plain and simple. Hilariously, in almost the same breath, and as though the writers just plain forgot the previous issue, he also makes a brain-dead claim that even though he got lucky, Iron Man was able to defeat her and her partner Boris when, if you recall earlier just this episode, that absolutely nothing of the sort happened. <laughs> Widow got the drop on him, just as she did just now in this issue, which resulted in him getting absolutely thrashed and put through the ringer. Only walking away unscathed because Professor Vanka sacrificed himself to destroy Boris and the Crimson Dynamo armor, with Widow escaping in the ensuing chaos. Nice selective memory there, buddy. So much for honoring Venko's heroic act as he melodramatically declared at the end of last issue. Widow's Rampage We catch up with the Black Widow and see her making a call to Mr. Glorious Leader, after presumably using the gravity ray to swipe some jewelry for herself. Because she's gotta get hers and women love shiny things, right? She, of course... As described earlier, plans to use the device's leverage to win her way back into his good graces. Since the man knows a good deal when he hears it, and is at least smart enough not to look a gift horse in the mouth, he does accept her offer, but seemingly on the condition that she perform a task for him. However, he's also shown ordering his underlings to track her call. Could it be that he doesn't quite trust her again yet? As short and productive we've seen him in all his appearances so far. That's an easy bet to make. Next we see of Widow, she's putting that ray to good use, causing all kinds of chaos at the main Stark Industries factory. It's only now that we finally see Iron Man in action, attempting to set things right. The last time we saw him armor up, we thought he was going after the Widow, but instead he just... didn't? Because before Widow's rampage, we see him as Tony Stark again, back in his workshop with Happy and Pepper, arguing over a newspaper article that has a quote from a senator 
leveling allegations of criminal negligence against Stark for letting Widow get away with such a dangerous device. We don't see or get told who makes these allegations, but I'm more than willing to bet it was Bird again, because that jerk really has it out for Stark, something fierce. For some reason, Tony thought it was an inappropriate use of time to try and recreate the device instead of just going after Widow right away, even though it was already established, however flimsily, that he was unable to do so thanks to the damage it took after he dropped it upon being nearly crushed. So when that inevitably fails, he decides again to armor up again and give himself a full charge to be ready for anything, including the device being used against him. I'd say this is also a safe bet to make, so keep it in mind. In any case, he appears to be just a bit too slow to fully halt the Black Widow's assault on his factory, and he finds it leveled for the second time in his many issues. I really hope Tony has good insurance, because he's gonna need it. Meanwhile, Mr. Glorious Leader's hired thugs catch up with Widow, claiming that they were sent there to assist in her mission. It's at this part in the story where I have to break out of summary mode for a moment and go into commentary mode. Off topic, busted continuity. If you're actually reading along with me, dear listener, you'll notice that it seems several sequences here are out of order. There is some really strange continuity going on here. The hired muscle pretty much give out the same assignment she's already been carrying out which is to take Stark and Iron Man out of commission, and which he had already just received from Mr. Glorious Leader on just the previous page. Combine that with Iron Man leaving to track down Widow, then two pages later back in his workshop, having seemingly accomplished nothing, then charging up and leaving again to go after Widow for real this time, and... Yeah, this story isn't very well structured. It's just all over the place. It's actually a little confusing, admittedly. It's a small part of the reason why this episode took me so long to put together, and why there was a longer gap between the last episode and this one. Not to mention, now that I'm reading these stories and writing the scripts in real time, as opposed to the first eight episodes where I had written them all months in advance of actually releasing the series. So a warning ahead of time that this might not be the last time this happens. So if it ever occurs again, and I'm late putting on an episode, you'll know that this is likely part of the reason why and I apologize for advance. Either that, or it's because I let myself get sucked into my favorite video game franchise again. I will endeavor not to do that in the future, but I have to warn you in good faith that I might just fail. I'm only human after all. Back to our program. Returning to the story, bottom of page 9, we catch up with Iron Man as he intercepts a flying car. Or rather floating, as though it had been hit by the gravity ray, and thus acting as a beacon for Widow's location. Shellhead flies through an open window and busts down Widow's hired men, before facing down Widow herself, who, just as we predicted earlier, turns the ray on Iron Man. And if I were a betting woman, I'd be rich after this issue. Apparently, however, our boy's made some modifications to his armor as he's impervious to the gravity ray. Well, impervious to the anti-grav setting anyway, as after Widow's hired goon scared for the winds at the prospect of fighting Iron Man, she turns the setting on heavy gravity instead and pins him to the ground, after which she leaves the building and then turns back and lifts that building with the ray 
dropping it back down on top of Iron Man to trap him. Luckily, we know he can just drill his way out, if you remember his little underground excursion back in episode 3. She who can move mountains. Out of left field, Widow's team decides, apparently it's a good time to just break into Fork Knox to rob some gold. This is the first time this is even mentioned, and it comes across as a little bit flimsy. The coolest thing that comes out of this whole thing is that Widow decides the best way to get through the mountain is to use the gravity ray to just lift the whole thing up in the air. It's actually a pretty cool set piece. In fact, it's so cool that it's outright spoiled in a caption on the opening splash page, which is why we skipped over it in this rundown, even though we usually cover them. It's almost as though the idea or image of the Black Widow moving a mountain came into the head of one of the creative team, and this entire story was written to justify this one moment, which could be why the rest of it is so dang flimsy and shoddily put together. But, as usual, that's just pure speculation on my part. While she's at it, Widow also tosses a few tanks aside for good measure, apparently showing off that the Ray can lift multiple very heavy objects at once, or else the writers just forgot their own unestablished rules. Either way, she's really flexing this little device, isn't she? Bit off more than she could chew. Well, unfortunately for Madame Natasha, she flexes the gravity ray just a bit too hard. Hard enough to wear another ability in Iron Man's kit, a proton beam, disables it, which causes the mountain to nearly crash down on top of them. Thanks to Iron Man's quick thinking, though, he is able to drag them all out of harm's way. The two agents from before actually do end up getting arrested and turned over to police for a change. But once again, the Black Widow disappears without a trace. The arresting officers make backhanded comments about Tony Stark being careless in letting such a dangerous tool get swept in the first place, and that maybe he's just an overrated playboy and that it's good that Iron Man is around to correct his bumbling mistakes. Iron Man agrees, and through his mask, you see his eyes show a cheeky expression, knowing the truth that these officers can't possibly know. Part 2 Retcons, References, and Reflections As mentioned in the off-topic subsection during the story summary, the continuity and overall flow of this issue is just straight up busted. It's hard to know what's going on and what happens when, which makes it even more difficult to read, let alone effectively summarize and reflect on. The events surrounding Widow's mission, such as her receiving her assignment from Mr. Glorious Leader, to her attacking SI, to Leader's hired goons showing up to assist, and Team Widow attacking SI again, make no sense to the point where it seems that a bunch of sequences are just plain out of order, or at the very least, poorly thought out. There's at least one sequence of Iron Man armoring up to go after the Widow, then a few pages later it's revealed that he just didn't do that? Only armoring up to go after the Widow after the apparent first sacking of the factory, if we're to believe that there were multiple sackings. How SI Security and Iron Man even allowed multiple sackings to occur is nonsensical storytelling at its finest. You'd think she'd get busted after the first attempt, but apparently she's just that good. Or the writing team is just that lazy and just plain didn't think it over. 
I don't doubt there are plenty more of these types of stories out there that I just didn't notice the first time around since I kind of blitz read through these with breakneck fervor during the pandemic. In fact, I can think of several in the next era of Iron Man stories during the 70s, which was a rather rocky time for the Armored Avenger. But I suspect at least a few more in this current era might be coming up. We'll just tackle them as they come. Same with this one. What I can say with utmost certainty is that the main thing that is accomplished by the two stories we've covered here today is that they effectively establish the Black Widow as a formidable opponent. It is a foregone conclusion that we have not seen the last of Ms. Natalia Romanova, so look forward to seeing her again very soon. In fact, sooner than you might think. Thank you all very much for joining me for this episode as we unpack, to the best of our abilities, the establishing stories to introduce the Black Widow to the Marvel Universe. Apologies again very much for the delay in getting this one out. I will endeavor to stay on schedule in the future as much as within my power, but delays like this are bound to occur now, since I'm now reading and scripting these in real time. Thank you for your patience and for sticking with me through this journey. In our next episode... You know what? I'm actually kind of pumped up for this next one, so much so that I'm not even going to mince words this time. I'm dispensing with the usual ambiguity that I used to build up anticipation, and instead I'm just going to tell y'all straight up. Next up, the return of the Mandarin. Get hype! In the meantime, please follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell your family, friends, or whoever you think may be interested. Remember, sharing is caring. As always, the intro and outro theme is Breakdown by Kevin McLeod. Until next time, my name is Marissa, and you've been listening to The Shining Armor Podcast, the show hosted by a comic book newbie who likes Marvel comics and just wants to talk about Iron Man. Stay safe and be good, y'all.